Hi there. Yes, it is. If you've been listening to Three Song Stories for a while, you may have picked up on the fact that our opening music is a version of Three is the Magic Number that was made for us by Dave 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 Cowan and Stig Martin. Well, the original creator of the song, Bob Doro, passed away this week. And not only did he write Three is the Magic Number, he had a huge influence on the music of Schoolhouse Rock, and he wrote songs like Electricity and Conjunction Junction. Well, around here, those songs mean a lot to us, and we just wanted to take a minute to appreciate the original version of the song that has become our theme. So we're going to listen for a minute, and then after that, we'll go right back to the show. Keep listening. When it's three, you can see it's a magic number. A man and a woman had a little baby. Yes, they did. They had three in the family. That's a magic number. Three, six, nine. Twelve, fifteen, eighteen. Twenty-one, twenty-four, twenty-seven. Three times nine is twenty-seven. Three times eight is twenty-four. Three times seven is twenty-one. Three times six is eighteen. Three times five is fifteen. Three times four is twelve. And three times three is nine. And three times two is six. And three times one. What is it? Three. Yeah, that's a magic number. A man and a woman had a little baby. Yes, they did. They had three in the family. That's a magic number. Welcome to Three Song Stories. This is the podcast that brings out the personalities of our guests using the songs that most strongly connect them to their lives. We use the power music has to bind us to our memories and to our experiences and listen to what's turning out to be an eclectic mix of tunes along the way. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for listening. My guest this episode is Amy Ware. It's weird to say her name out loud with just two parts because in my head she's been Amy Wilkinson Ware since we reconnected via Facebook whenever it started becoming a thing. Amy grew up in Fort Myers with me, so we've known each other since back in the day. She's in town for a bit from the Great White North, so I thought I'd bring her in and submit her to the pain of having to whittle the song list down because I strongly suspect it was as difficult for her as any of my guests thus far. Hey there, Amy. How's it going? It's going well. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great. Thanks for doing this. I'm so excited to do this. So let's start with the musical background of your childhood. Yeah. Where were you as a kid listening to music in your family? What was happening for you as a kid? Wow. Well, um, music is the first thing I remember from my childhood. I remember being able to sing before I could speak. Um, And as a little kid, I listened to a lot of the Beatles, you know, old Elvis records that my brother had. The Kingston Trio was huge Hmm. in my family. Listened to a lot of Kingston Trio. There were albums in the house, though. This wasn't just radio music? It was albums, yeah. But we also listened to radio a lot. There was always music on when I was a kid. And I can sort of mark the time in my youth when my folks kind of stopped listening to music as much and went more to talk radio. Right. Yeah. Where was that? Were you here as a kid? I I was. I was born in Pennsylvania, but we moved here when I was really little, so... Gotcha. This is home. Uh, what was the first music you owned yourself, like that oh. you possessed? Well, the first one that I bought with my own money was a Queen album. Oh, nice. It Which one? Do you the, remember? Yeah, I do. It was The Game. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, do you remember um, uh, making mixtapes as a kid? Absolutely. You're probably in the sweet spot. It's interesting. I've oh, found yeah. out so far there's, you know, there, it's, it's, there's a a sweet spot for the mm-hmm. mixtape, and you're probably right in the middle oh, of it. Oh, yeah. So did you make mixtapes more, or did you receive more mixtapes? Ooh, probably about 50-50. Well, but that might just be me putting my my memory filter on it. I right. received a lot and still have them. 
Oh wow! Really? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, do you play them? Or are they just I, are they mementos at this I point? Do, do you have a play, tape player? I do have a tape player. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that's a first so far. Yeah. Um, uh, do you remember any of the songs that were on the ones that you've kept and listened to? I oh mean, yeah. Well, there was. Um, I have a couple that an older cousin made me, and he was just enough older that I liked hanging out with him, but also looked up to him. Mm-hmm. And as a when I was about. I don't know, 14, 15, he made me tapes with Prince and Peter Gabriel and R.E.M., Frank Zappa, all stuff that Mm. I, to this day, count as my favorite stuff. Did anybody ever try to woo you with a mixtape? Absolutely. Did it ever work? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Did you ever woo anybody with a mixtape? I certainly did. Did it work? Yes, it worked. (laughs) Well, so let's explore that a little bit. (laughs) Why is it that you think... um, you know, what is it about the mixtape? Because this is sort of – you haven't seen it yet, but the logo for this show is actually the, a riff on a mixtape. Nice. Um, which wasn't my idea. It was Mike Donlan's idea. He's one of the designers uh-huh. here and it was his first cut at it and we were all just like, that's it. Next. Um, but it's it's sort of at the root of the power that we're tapping into for this show. When you give someone a mixtape, it's telling them something about yeah. yourself or hopefully you think. That's right. You know what I mean? And vice yeah. versa. Can you just uh, think back to those days and maybe recount on that a little bit? It's hard to think back to what the actual songs might have been. Not necessarily specific people. Sure, just, no, just sure. yeah, the, the, the spirit of oh, it. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's something – if I was – first of all, if I was making a mixtape for somebody, it was absolutely with a motive. Right. You know, I, I had a couple of girlfriends that I made mixtapes for just that that was a lot more like, oh, you should really own this song here. Have it. But if it was a guy – and I was making a mixtape, it was absolutely, please listen to these lyrics because this is what I would say to you if I had the guts. <laughs> but being able to say it through someone else, there well, was a layer of safety there. Well, do you think there was also an aspect of it that was, um, look how cool I am, this is the music I listen to? Oh, you know definitely. what I mean? Like, Defin- you know, this sure. is my brand, right? Yeah, yep. Do you remember the first music that you remember moving you? Mm, probably R.E.M. Yeah? Yeah. Any particular reason why or what? Do you remember? I mean, is there a, a shape of the memory in your head you can kind of... Well, I remember being, um, you know, early high school and just at the point where I was kind of starting to get a sense of who I was and who I was relative to other people. And there was just something about that sound that was just different enough. You know, this was before they were the huge, huge band that they became, but they were they were popular enough that I would have heard them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just something, you know, in in their earlier music, Michael Stipe, who wrote all of the lyrics, used to take a much more kind of obfuscated route. He Mm -hmm. would write these really um, abstract lyrics that you couldn't get at what it was that he was trying to say. Mm -hmm. And yet, you could absolutely get at what those words meant to you. And I think that that's it's like a like a framework for yeah. meaning. Yeah. And you know, it's it's a lot like visual art. I think that the best art whether it's visual, performing, music is something that the meaning of it isn't necessarily pinned down. Mm-hmm. Or another way to put that would be that the meaning that the creator had in mind is as valid as the meaning that the audience has in mind. Deep man. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though. Um, okay, well let's 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 hear your first song, which happens to be probably not coincidentally a song by REM. It is. Uh, it's, uh, which one is it? It's country feedback. What era was that from? It, I didn't recognize it immediately. When yeah, you said it, it wasn't in. one of the big hits. It was on Out of Time, which came out in '91. Mm-hmm. I was a senior in high school. Was already a really big REM fan and tended to prefer their first couple of of albums. Um, 
I didn't quite know what to make of it at first. You know, I went right out and bought it the day it was released because there was no way that I was not going to get an REM record. That would have been a cassette, right? Um, or are we on the cusp of CDs at that point? No, we're probably no, on CDs. Well, CDs were out, but I didn't buy my first till I was a freshman in college. So, so it would have been, been a cassette. cassette. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it probably at, you know, the record bar. Yeah. <laughs> the Edison Mall. <laughs> Next to the gold mine. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So um, do you want to tell more of a story about it now? Do you want to listen to it and then reflect on it? Like we've been giving the guest the choice and it kind of varies from song to song. Yeah, I think I'll reflect. But um, just before listening to it, restate that I I was not entirely sold on this album when I first got it. And this song in particular, I heard those first few times and just responded like, what the hell is that? I don't, wow. I don't even know what I'm listening to. Here, here we are, all these years later, and it's one of your songs. It is. Wow, it's like like tequila or something. <laughs> you know, it's like, ew, what's this? And then, whoa, it's great. Okay, well, let's hear it. This yeah. is Country Feedback by REM. It's Amy Ware's first song on this episode of Three Song Stories. I've, I've done this is my eighth recording of this, and I've watched people and go places, and I saw you go as far, I think, as I've seen anyone go so far. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's a very specific place, and then there's a lot of more just nebulous places through the years. Um, I mentioned that I didn't get this album at first. I didn't grasp it. And this song was way out there for me. There was a there was something about the sound of it that I liked, but I didn't get it, and it didn't speak to me immediately. And listening just now, it struck me, and I hadn't really thought of this before, but I think maybe the thing about the sound that grabbed me immediately, even in you know ninety one when it came out, was the organ, mm-hmm. which for one, was not always part of R.E.M.'s usual sound. You know, they um, they had kind of an unofficial fifth member who would play the organ sometimes, but it wasn't part of their typical guitar, drums, bass, vocals. Mandolin. Well, yeah, well, and that started on this album, too. Uh, but, you know, I grew up, my dad is a musician, and when I was a young kid, that was his full-time gig, and he played the organ. And, you know, we had a Hammond B3, which huh. is the organ that we were hearing just there. It has that real wom 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 sound. And, you ever, so, and you just made that connection? Yeah. I, I certainly could have told you, yes, this song has a heavy organ sound in it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, not until today did I really think that's probably what grabbed me initially because I knew, okay, there's something about the song that makes me want to keep listening. But I wouldn't have said, yes, I like it. I was intrigued by it. Right. Um, and it, I think it had to have been the organ because that that Hammond B three sound is a defining sound of my childhood and all throughout my life. Anytime I hear it, it transports me to being really little and you know going to hear my dad play, helping him move equipment right. <laughs> from the time I was five years old. Um, so there's that, but. Um, but I can tell you the exact moment when I realized I loved this song. And it was not too long after it came out. That that summer, you know, I graduated high school in 91 and left, I think, that same week to go to this music camp in South Carolina, spend a week there. And my mom came to pick me up to drive home, and we had planned to stop on the way in Athens, Georgia, which is where are you from? And of course, you know, at that age, when I say I was a fan, I was like this total REM fangirl. They meant the world to me. It was a defining aspect of your being. Absolutely, absolutely. And so I wanted to see where they were from, you know, get a look around. And so we drove through Athens and I just kind of had it in my head that I was going to be able to find them. Yeah, you right. know, like, pff, 
How hard could well, it I be? Well, I used to hear stories about how they were very accessible, at least early on in Athens. They used to have a house. They all sat on the front porch apparently. That's, and so that's I, right. I remember that as, as sort of lore anyway. Yeah. And by this time, they were already superstars. So but, maybe not so much front but, porch in Athens. But even then, this is still more than 25 years ago. Right. So they had been at it for you know, 10 or 12 years by that time. But I had read things, you know, in Rolling Stone or Spin about like where they played and, oh, there's this club that's this legendary club in Athens called the 41, you know, Pete is part owner and, oh, Michael has this vegetarian restaurant that he owns in Athens, you know. So I knew these little things and I was like, well, how big of a place can it be? You know, how hard can it be to find them? You know, if they're in town, I'm finding them and that's that. So, you know, I was not quite 18. So we get to town and booked into, you know, a Motel 6 or something like that and start walking around. We're traipsing around town. And the first thing on my mind was that I had read, oh, you know, I think it's Mike hangs out at this Italian restaurant all the time. So I found the first little Italian restaurant that I could find and we decide we're going to eat there. And I go in. And I start talking to our our server and saying, oh, yeah, well, I'm here because I'm a fan, la, la, la. And she says, oh, yeah, Mike was in here earlier today. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Are did you, you say did you stay there me? for a week? <laughs> no, no, we stayed there for a night. But so we had our Italian food. And but before we left, I mentioned that I also had in the back of my head this idea of some restaurant that Michael Stipe owned and mm-hmm. this club and – well, without my asking, we're about to leave, and uh, the waitress says, you know, Michael owns this restaurant. It's called The Grit. Well, I didn't know the name of it until uh-huh. she said that. It was that. intelligence. Right. And, uh, and she tells me how to get there. And she's like, you know, it's not far from here. You could go there and have some dessert. Because, you know, sometimes he pops in. There's always a chance. I said, okay, that's it. We're going. So me and my mom traips up the street and we go to this little place. We sit down and I look up on the wall and there's a certificate of occupancy and it says J.M. Stipe. Holy crap, right? And our waiter there, I'm giving him the same spiel, you know, I'm a big fan and I'm in town. Like they've never heard this from anyone before. Right, right. So we have our dessert and then much like at the last place, we're getting ready to leave and the waiter comes up and says, hey, listen, you can't tell anyone that I told you this. And he gets real conspiratorial, you know, bends down and lowers his voice. And he says, you can't tell anyone that I told you this. And I'm like, what? Tell me what? And he's like, well, I heard this rumor that they're going to be playing tonight at the 40 Watt. And my eyes are like the size of saucers. I'm like, are you kidding me? And he says, but you can't tell anyone because, you know, it's – you got to keep this is before we said keep it on the down low but that's yeah, what he was yeah. telling me to do and so I He wasn't saying don't put it on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have email in 91. <laughs> so that was not going to be for probably a couple hours at you know 7 or 8. I'm underage. We go to this bar my mom gets me in. <laughs> mom wins some brownie points for this. She sure did. She got me in. We, we go inside. There's a, an events calendar on the, on the wall just inside the door. And for the day that we were there, several days, it just said call. You know, like call to see what we're doing that day. And the other days had bands and such filled in. And it just said call. So we, we didn't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, and... On stage, playing was – I was not familiar with him at the time, but I am now – was Vic Chestnut. Mm-hmm. And it was him and his wife was playing bass and they had another guy playing the drums and he was um, he was already pretty ill at that point. But um, you know, he has since, since passed away. My mom couldn't stand it. <laughs> she, <laughs> she hated what he was playing and I was – um, confused but intrigued by it. Right. I couldn't. And you were willing to love anything if it meant maybe seeing exactly, Michael you know, later. Exactly. And so, you know, I'm standing there and I'm watching Vic play and there's a guy walks up next to me and he's got this big fancy camera and he's taking a few pictures. And I said, 
I'm like, oh, that's a nice camera. And he says, thank you. And I said, are you familiar with this guy? And he goes, oh, yeah, but no, I'm here to see – and stops himself mid-sentence. And then he says, the next band. And he quickly hurries away. And I'm like, ooh, what's this all about? <laughs> Starting <laughs> you know? to feel like maybe you're really onto something. Exactly. And so, you know, a while later – Vic is still playing, and my mom comes up to me, and she says, I think I've had about enough of this. I'm going to go back to the motel. You call me when you're ready to come home. Wow, man. Your mom trusted you. 17 years old, in a, underage in this bar. She got me in and then left me there. <laughs> and so she left, and Vic wrapped things up. Then the floor started to fill. And people are pressing closer and closer to the stage. And I'm like five feet away. Right, yeah. And um, then these two young guys who were probably freshmen or sophomores in college end up next to me and said hello. And one of them says to me, are you here for the same rumor we're here for? I said, I think I am. And before you know it, R.E.M. walks out on stage. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, this – international superstars and it was one of those things that they couldn't play under the name rem or mm-hmm. they couldn't advertise that rem right, was playing for because like label it would, reasons exactly or like it would that. have been some kind of breach of contract or i don't even know so but were they like mer or what they didn't that? even they, <laughs> have a name no they didn't give any name and i've since learned that they used to do that a lot and they used to give some fake name at the mm-hmm. beginning. They didn't do that this time. They just came out and played. And I memorized the set list. I did it by, I don't know, I came up with some mnemonic yeah. on the spot the, using the initials, I think, of the song titles so that as soon as I could get back to the motel room, I could scribble it all down. Uh-huh. I knew every song but three. And I think at least one of those had been a cover Mm-hmm. And several of them were from the new album, but they played old stuff that I loved as well. And they played Country Feedback. And there I was in this tiny sea of people. <laughs> you know, it's this crush of bodies, but in a t- teeny tiny space. You know, we're not talking. Yeah, yeah, you're right there. You're, it, yeah, you're you know, breathing, do- breathing the same molecules. Dozens of people basically is what they were playing to that night. They, you know, they fill stadiums. Mm-hmm. But there's a few dozen of us in this little room. And they played that song. And there was this, this stillness that came over the room. And everyone was just riveted. And it's not – you know, it's certainly not a high-energy song. Yeah. Um, but – there was just something about that droning insistence of it that everyone was just locked right in. And I was locked in and I was hooked from that moment on. And so I, you know, I've always remembered the song for that moment and I've always connected it with that moment. But then because it became important to me, then I started listening a lot more closely to it, started connecting with the lyrics in ways that I hadn't done before. And it's one of those songs that has come up for me over and over. Since then, at moments when I've been either reflecting on a decision that I've made or trying to make a decision or when thinking about other people in my life and things that have happened to them and the the lyric that's repeated is crazy what you could have had. I mean, who among us doesn't feel that way that, you know, if only I had done this or if I had made a different choice, everything would have been different. Um, and every juncture in our life is has the potential to create that. We're not always aware of that in the moment, but every single choice we make forges that path and It could be anything from, you know, what if I had gone to school in Pennsylvania instead of North Carolina? Or what if I had, after school, moved to Washington instead of Massachusetts? But it could also be, what if on this day I left five minutes later? (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. it's There's that whole garden of forking paths idea that this song really um, makes me aware of at times when I forget it 
And it comes back to me either because I'll hear the song, you know, like it'll come up on my shuffle or something like that and will take me into that space where I really start reflecting on things or the other way around. I will be thinking about either something in the past or a decision that I have to make and how it's going to affect things down the road. And I will then think of the song. Mm-hmm. And just that, again, that that crazy what you could have had is it, it's very general and very specific all at once. Uh, REM a standard part of your musical diet? Still. Still? Yeah. Okay. So um, we're moving on to song two now. So you have Silent All These Years by Tori Amos. Tori Amos. Amos. Um, Shall we listen? Yeah. uh, Okay. Well, this is is Silent All These Years by Mm. Tori Amos. You're listening to Three Song Stories. It's biography through music. Silent All These Years. Tori Amos is silent all these years. It's my guest, Amy Ware, second song choice here on Three Song Stories. So uh, where were you there? Wow. Where's that go? <laughs> Which, by the way, takes me places, too, in a weird way. Does I had, it? I, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't listened to it in a very long time, yeah. but it was very uh, memory emotive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first place is um, the first where I was the first time I heard it. And that was in Miami, University of Miami. I was a freshman. And it had just come out. Um, And somebody in my dorm got the album. And I had heard, you know, the first single at that point, Crucify. Mm -hmm. And we had all heard that and we were all listening to it and like, who is this? She's amazing. And she looks so weird and she acts so strange. Kind of a whole different thing too. Yeah, yeah. It had a very distinctive thing. Exactly. She was like nothing – that I had ever heard before or seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, even just her physicality in in performance is just like it was shocking at the time. You know, to see just like the way she would writhe on the piano bench while she yeah. played and and still does. Um, you know, we were all a little bit scandalized by her <laughs> at the time. Um, oh, it was a simpler time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Can you imagine being scandalized by Tori Amos today? But um, yeah, so someone who lived in my dorm had the album and I worked at the front desk of my dorm. So I at least knew all of the faces of mm-hmm. everyone who lived there. And it was in the lobby. You know, someone sitting out there and brought their CD player and was playing this Tori Amos record. And, um, you know, a lot of us are kind of – singing along to the song that we knew but then listening to all this other stuff and I heard this one and I was like, wow, what, what the... This one did grab me right out of the gate. Like, what the heck? Um, I also had a... <laughs> I was one of the DJs on the college station mm-hmm. there that year and I had a, um, a graveyard shift. Did you use your real name? I did, but I didn't use my last name. Gotcha. And... Um, So I was on from like 1 to 4 in the morning on a Saturday nights, and everyone had to start off on a graveyard shift if you were new. But then if you were doing okay, they would, you know, offer to move you. I got offered prime time three times. Well, the, the first one wasn't prime, but I was offered to change. First time, couldn't do it, had class, it conflicted, like, no, I'll stay where I am. Second time... There was something like I could have done it, but I didn't want to. And by the third time they asked, I said, you know what? No, I like I like my show. I like exactly where I am. Um, and I like the freedom that it gave me because it was already a pretty loose atmosphere mm-hmm. in terms of what we were able to play. There was a format and we had different things that were in different levels of rotation and, you know, we had to follow the clock, the, yeah. the radio clock, and play, you know, you play a heavy rotation this many times an hour. But even within that, we had a lot of freedom because the station didn't put songs in rotation. It put albums. Okay. And so you could choose any song oh, okay. from that album. And when you were on in the middle of the night, we could fit in more songs because there were fewer things like underwriting. Yeah, that we exactly. Had to, that we Commercials had to, or exactly. whatever. So there was time to fit in even more songs. And I would take stuff with me. And um, 
you know, I I even got a call from the program director one time at like two in the morning. And at first I'm thinking, oh, no, he's going to take me to task for playing stuff that's not on the list. Right. Or it's not in rotation. No, it was the exact opposite. He calls me and says, show sounds great. Play whatever you want. Great. I'm like, okay, great. So I'm bringing in my own CDs. And by that time I had bought this one. Mm-hmm. And this was at a time when um, if I didn't know – the artist or the album, I would choose a song usually based on its length. You know, I would see what I had planned yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one, one aspect of that is Exactly, math. right. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to have a four-and-a-half-minute block in here or what have you. And so I picked this one and I put it on. And, you know, ordinarily while listening to the songs in the station, I'm busy doing something else, mm-hmm. you know, because this was with CD players and turntables and, right. you know, nothing was automated. And, um, you know, I had to have carts ready to play, you know, I had to read the weather. And oh, I know all about it. I know you do. <laughs> and so, so I was typically quite busy for the entire show. But this was one of those moments that I, I just stopped doing everything just so that I could listen. And this was before, you know, I had only heard it a few times. So I couldn't say that the song really meant something deeply to me yet. Mm -hmm. It certainly has come to. But I knew from the first listening that there was something really special about it that just pulled me right in. And um, it it was that main lyric in the title silent all these years just the idea of keeping quiet at times when you shouldn't you know and the things that we le- that we let go unsaid the things that i have let go unsaid um even very early on in listening to the song and and knowing the song i was connecting to those things you know I was only 18, but by that time, I had lost a brother. Um, You know, I had had – I was at school, at a school that I didn't like, and I wanted to leave, but I didn't know what to do about that, and I didn't know how to talk to my parents about it, and you know, just all of these things that I should just be able to just open up and say what's on my mind and, and hadn't done, even at 18. And now, yeah, I was just about these, to say. I mean, you know, all these years, all these years all later, these, all these years means all these years. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, and now, you know, I have close to forty-five years mm-hmm. worth of all of those little silences that continue to add up. There, I, you know, I've done better. <laughs> I I work on it. But I, I still, I still keep quiet about things that I shouldn't. You know, there are things that, there are things that I have never said to people who are still in my life. Whether you know, some of them are people I'm related to, and some of them are you know people that I was involved with, or people that I work with. You know, all different levels. It could be any topic. You know, and I'm not. I'm going to be kind of silent here about it. (laughs) But here's a big chance now. (laughs) So listen, mom, no. So it serves as both a nudge to me to push me not to be silent. You know, when you have something to say, just say it because the consequences of not speaking are usually worse in the long run than the consequences of speaking. But while it serves as that push, it also serves as a reminder of all the times that I have failed to do that and continue to fail to do that. And it's just beautiful. It's gorgeous. You know, I hadn't ever heard it in headphones. And so it's it's weird. I'm like, has it always had strings? Yeah. Of course it's always had strings. Yeah. But like I didn't hear it richly orchestrated. And the way it just – and then she comes in big, boom. Yeah. 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 So anyway, thank you for reminding me of it. Let's talk about the songs that almost made it. What was like your fourth? What was the the baby that had to get oh, cut? Oh my gosh! <laughs> or can you even narrow it down to a fourth? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, 
you asked me to do this, and I was so excited. And, then you, got, and then you, got, was, you got less prep time, by the way, than anyone else so really? far. Everyone else has had like at least a week or two. Oh, to think I had about less it. than twenty four yeah. hours. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, you asked me to do it, and my immediate reaction was yes, yes, yes. I absolutely want to do this, and then. Right on the heels of that was the terror of how do I pick? And I mentioned to you before we started recording that I would put all three of these artists on my top artist list, but I would not put any one of these songs on like a top 10 or probably even a top 30 list of favorite songs because they – I love them, but there are just so many. But to be able to pick something that – I was able to really connect with things to talk about. Like, well, let's let's go a little deeper. Let's get some deep cuts. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because I've been searching my own memories for like what would my three be, and I mm-hmm. get to play my song at the end, and those mm-hmm. are some some of my songs that get close. But I'm kind right. of you know strategically not because at some point I'm going to turn the tables and have one of our other producers yeah. you know, do this to me. Yeah. And it's weird. The process is like it's partially searching your memory banks for the songs that you love, mm-hmm. but then it's partially searching your memory banks for important times in your life and trying to listen for what the soundtrack was. You know what I mean? It's uh-huh. weird. It's a weird. It's it's been really interesting. Yeah. So what was number four? Oh gosh. Well, it was Peter Gabriel, and um, uh, I can't even think of the title of it right now. I can hear the song, and the title just in this moment escaped me. You're going to edit this out, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're not. That's okay. It's a Peter Gabriel, it Gabriel is, song. It is a Peter Gabriel song. What band have you most recently discovered? Do you still seek out new music? I do. Some of our guests have been like, no, nope, I cut it off at 2004 or yeah. you know, whatever, but what about you? Yeah. I find myself really um, – I like The Killers a lot. Oh, yeah. And I like Portugal the Man. It's really cool. And other than that, no, new music sucks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is there a, a band that you really like that you think that our listeners would not know? Oh. You know, what's your most esoteric love? Mm. It's probably going to be something like Of Montreal. What? Of Montreal. Of Montreal. Unfamiliar. Yeah. You, yeah. you got me. Oh, see there. Well, this is – a lot of your listeners probably are familiar with St. Vincent, uh-huh. but if you're not, absolutely listen to her. I am. Thank you to, to Stephen Colbert. Oh, really? Yes, he fantastic. used to have her on. Yeah. 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 No, she's great, and her newest album is really fantastic. Okay. Well, we're going to move on to your, your final song, okay. which is – and she was by the Talking Heads, That's right. right? Was that an easy pick for you? It was. That was an easy yeah, pick for it you? it was easy. Okay. Do you want to talk about it or do you want to listen sure. to it? Yeah. This is a song that um, – well, I think the album came out in 85, but the song's real meaning to me didn't start until more like 93. Okay. And it became my road trip – theme song. And I always would take it with me. I had the cassette. Might even still have it. Probably not. But I would bring the cassette with me in the car. And anytime I was going on a road trip, I would pop it in. And that was the very first song that I would play. That was like how you launched your road trips? Yes, it was. And usually each day of the road trip, too, I would play it first off. The first big road trip that I took alone was in summer of 1993. Where'd you go? Starting in Florida, I went up to Massachusetts and back. But I had stops in Georgia, stopped in North Carolina to see your sister. Yeah. So, you, so in uh, at least McRae. <laughs> yeah, your friend and mine, Megan. <laughs> and um, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts. What kind of car were you driving? I was driving. I don't remember what year it was. But it was a cult. It was one of those oh, that those little guys. It was. It was really little. It was you know manual shift hatchback. It was blue and it had all these wild pinstripes on the side. You know, like elaborate. Uh, when you when you bought it, were you like, those are great pinstripes, or hey, I've got a car with pinstripes? It was more the second. <laughs> okay, well let's 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 drive down the road, uh, I ninety five north in a. No, not a pinto. It was a oh, cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it might as well have been a pinto. Well, uh, let's listen to that and then we'll talk some more. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, And She Was by the Talking Heads. You're listening to Three Song Stories. Man, you know that song. You should see her in here. She's like doing this like almost like Garth and Wayne in the car. 
Um, Air guitar. Okay, this is a totally out of the box question, but I got to throw this in there because okay. I feel like I know the answer. When was the last time you sang that song at karaoke? This one? Yeah. I don't think I've ever done this Good one at heavens. karaoke. I know you did karaoke. I did karaoke just today. <laughs> Today, it's only 5.57 p.m. And this was at like 1 o'clock. <laughs> Where do you do karaoke oh, at 1? It was downtown at the Standard. I was having brunch with our mutual friend. You did a karaoke brunch? She made me. I did. It was fantastic. <laughs> well, let's get back to the memory behind this song. That was a little great aside, though. Good heavens. <laughs> Okay, so so we so we're driving down the road in 1993, mm-hmm. and you're in your cult with pinstripes. That's right. You know, thinking back, maybe it was a Tercel. <laughs> 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 yeah. So I had at that point, let's see, 93. I turned 20 that summer, and I had just come off of. I, I mentioned before that I went to school in Miami my freshman year, and I ended up hating it. You're the wrong energy level for that place. I yeah, think. and you know, I had no idea. I had no idea. I didn't look into it the way, you know. I just, you just had, got into a good school. Yeah, I got into a good school. I found out early. I didn't even apply anywhere else because that's where I wanted to go. I was going to go to University of Miami. I was going to major in music, and that was going to be that. Right. Didn't even explore any other options because. And you were a good student, so you could have gone. Places. Yeah. And so, but, you know, this is a good school. Yeah. Got in, had a scholarship. You know, why not? This is where I want to be. Got there, hated it. I was miserable. So I left and I took a year off, came back to the fort. You know, I, in one. Did you have a job while you were here? I had three jobs at once. I was teaching dance and I was working as a production assistant out on Sanibel at the Pirate Playhouse. Uh-huh. And I worked at Specs Music. Oh, right, which is now like a Halloween store. Oh, that that <laughs> sounds about right. Yep. And um, yeah, I was just kind of working and figuring stuff out. But I knew that I only wanted to take a year off. So during that time, I looked at other schools, and this time I fl- I applied to five different places, got in all of them. But and I picked one, and I think I just kind of. Picked the one that gave me the best scholarship offer because, mm-hmm. you know, I couldn't afford it otherwise. Right. And um, so by this time, I had chosen my school and, you know, was getting ready to go. But that wasn't going to be until, what, September or so. So earlier in the summer, I decide I'm going to just drive. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to get in the car and drive. You know, I grew up taking road trips with my family. Anytime we were going to go somewhere, we didn't fly. We all got in the car. Right. You know, me, my brother. Griswold style. Exactly. Like total Griswold style. Did you have the rear-facing seat in the station wagon? We didn't even have the seat. We had one of those. We didn't even have the seat back there. We had the station wagon. Oh, you just piled the kids in. But I just, you know, I would sit in the way back. Pillows and luggage. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. And me back there because I was the little one, so – But that was just the norm, you know. Anytime we were going to go somewhere, you get in the car and you go. And we didn't even always stay at motels. We would stop at a rest area. Right. And, you know, we would stay at motels at our destination. Sure, but long way. Or with family. But on the way, no. We would pull into a rest area, sleep for a couple hours, wake up and just keep going. And that's how I grew up. And so I figured that's what I'm going to do. And so I got in the car and I went. And I was gone for almost four weeks. And I remember at the time my mom telling me that, you know, like my aunt and my grandma and all these people were super concerned. Like, you're going to let her, yeah, yeah. She, she's 20 years old, get in the car and just drive around the country? And my mom's like, what do you mean let her? <laughs> she's 20 years old. She's do My mom still gets worried when I take road trips and I'm 46. She still worries about me. But <laughs> the thing about my parents is they were never really strict. I was certainly not not what you would call spoiled because, for one thing, we weren't wealthy. Right. So I wasn't, you know, just given things. But You were spoiled by side trips to Athens. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was given a, a lot of latitude to do the things that I wanted to do. I think both because um, – 
They knew that if they told me no, I was probably just going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. But also because they trusted that I wasn't going to do really crazy things. You know, when I asked to do something, it usually wasn't all that far out of the box. I tended to be a pretty safe person, um, you know, kept my wits about me. So when I would say things like, I'm going to get in the car and go on this road trip, it was, okay, you know, yeah, we know you are. <laughs> we'll right. see you when you get back. So that's what I did. And at that point, the song wasn't my official road trip song. I didn't have one. I didn't even have the thought to have one. But it was one of the tapes that I took with me and it was the first one that I put in on the first day. Yeah. And that song came on and immediately I just thought, oh, well, this is perfect. You know, the world was moving. She was right there with it and she was. Yeah. You know, that's like being, man. Exa- she was. Exactly. She I was, was. I was like Kerouac out there, yeah. you know, without a sidekick. Um, and so... You know, that line, and she could hear the highway breathing. You know, just how perfect is that? So here I am. I'm in my car and I'm going all these different places. And it was always to see, you know, I had destinations along the way. I would stay with family or I went to see your sister. I went to see your brother. Like I saw all these people. What was that, chopped liver? Oh, wait, I was in Fort Myers. You were in Fort Myers. (laughs) Saw you when I came back. But – and so – Because I I kind of decided at that point, oh, this is my perfect road trip theme song, it then became my official road trip song. And I listened to it first every day of that trip, every driving day of that trip. And then on subsequent trips, you know, later, a couple months later, I had to drive up to North Carolina again so that I could actually go to school. So again, it became the song. Um, and then anytime I would come home for vacations – Again, I wasn't flying. I was always driving. Mm -hmm. And so Christmas break, spring break, all of these different things. And then when I finally finished school, I say finally because I took kind of a circuitous route through college, but I did finish. took me 16 years. Well, the first time through, it took from start to finish, it took me six. But then I went to school again, you know, a few years back. So I've, right, right. I've done the. I've done. I've been to four schools. I've done the whole thing twice. But the interesting thing, you know, we've talked about where songs take you. Well, certainly, uh, literally, that song took me all around the country. But from that very first road trip, I have two really, really strong, intense memories. One of which was. Um, pretty terrible, and the other of which started off pretty bad but then turned into something amazing. And so which one do you want first? Uh, Let's ask the director. Gwen, do we want to hear the amazing or the terrible? All right, the terrible. terrible. Okay. So I was driving on some – like a county road in Georgia, and – it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a gorgeous, bright, sunny day, not too hot. I remember I had the windows open. This was the kind of road that was probably one lane in each direction, maybe two. Not real big. And the car in front of me was about the size of a bread truck, UPS truck size vehicle. And I'm driving down the road and to my right – was this big open meadow, tall grass, and probably several acres beyond that was woods in the distance. And I see a deer bounding across the meadow. And at this point, it's still pretty far off, but it's running toward the road. So I immediately stepped on the brake. And I'm slowing down, and I'm getting slower and slower and slower, but the deer is getting closer and closer and closer. And the distance between the truck and me grows because I slowed down, and he did not. And he didn't miss the deer. And so I saw every moment of that from, from the moment when it's, you know, 
big and full of life and bounding across this gorgeous meadow, as idyllic as you could possibly picture. It was like a movie to the moment where it was just gone. And it was, as you can imagine, it was horrifying um, both to just know that that had happened and in a visual sense it was terrible because being behind the truck, I see – I didn't see the impact, but I saw the deer come under the truck and then slide. And it was – I mean, I think it's – obviously, I can still picture it very vividly. And every single time I'm behind the wheel now, and that was 25 years ago, every single time I am constantly scanning for animals. All the time. Hmm. Um, so that happened, and it sucked. <laughs> it was it was horrible, and I had to. Actu- I actually had to pull over. Did the just, truck stop, or did it keep going? It kept going. Yeah. You know, I drove another, I don't know, a couple hundred yards, and then I just had to pull over to just pull myself together because I was I was a wreck. And alone, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a great idea. I'm going to go on this road trip all by myself. <laughs> um, you know, I had no one to commiserate. to commiserate with. I certainly didn't have a phone. Right. You know, we used pay phones. Yeah. Um, so I just had to kind of pull over and get it together and then keep going. And so what's the thumbs up story now that you've um – yeah, now that I've brought you down for the rest of the month. Gwen's looking over going, yeah, let's hear Yeah, yeah, one. yeah. Well, the other one is a lot better. That was toward the, – the deer was toward the beginning of the trip. On my way back, the last day of the trip, I'm driving on the highway. And this is in just north of Ocala. So I had not been in Florida for but – Like an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. It's pouring rain. Right. You know. Florida in the summertime. Brutal pouring rain. There's construction on the highway, a lot of traffic. We're moving at about 50. And I was in the right-hand lane. I'm driving behind this VW bus, you know, the micro bus. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a couple car lengths back. What I couldn't see was that in front of the bus – Traffic had slowed almost to a stop, and the the driver of the of the VW didn't hit the brake. He instead got right up on the edge of that traffic, but then pulled into the left lane really quickly. So without knowing any traffic had slowed down, I'm suddenly faced with a row of stopped traffic in front of me. So I hit the brake, but I immediately start to just float hydroplaning across Mm -hmm. the water it felt like it took 30 seconds (laughs) all time just slowed down and and i could just you know there was this tractor trailer it was a flatbed tractor trailer in front of me and i'm just floating toward it getting closer and closer and closer and it you know everything seemed to to just slow down the sound around me everything sounded like it was slow down you know i I might as well have gone no (laughs) (laughs) in my head i was and and yeah i plowed right into the back of that tractor trailer was not hurt nobody was hurt the car was pretty pretty banged up the um the hood wrinkled up and the front fender was all out of whack no problem with the engine hmm. but in the immediate aftermath i was just stunned sitting there completely still gripping the wheel just staring ahead not even aware that you know 10 seconds after that the driver of the truck had hopped out run back to see how i'm doing but i wasn't paying any attention i'm just sitting there like oh crap he's knocking on my window in the pouring rain and he's going miss miss are you okay miss finally i snap out of it start to cry i'm bawling i roll down the window he's like are you okay no no i'm fine i'm just i was just fell apart so he says you know we we wait for the police to come police writes it up as being unavoidable 
due to weather and mm-hmm. road conditions, um, sends us on our way. <coughs> Truck driver says, I want you to follow me to the next exit. We're going to get off. You call home. I'll wait and tell me whether your car is drivable. And if it is, then you can keep driving on home. And if it's not, then we'll figure out what to do next. You know, because I was not in any condition. I had my wits were not about me. So that's what we did. And um, the car was okay. So I'm getting ready to say goodbye to the guy. And he's like, well, I'm going to be on the road until I don't even remember what city he said, but it was couple hours south of where we were. He said, I'm going to stay right behind you on the highway until I have to exit. And if anything is wrong with the car during that time, just signal and pull off and I'll pull off and we'll figure it out. Hmm. And he did. He fought, His name was Tony. And he followed me for a couple hours. Car was okay. I was fine. And it got to the point where he was going to exit. He flashed his brights at me. I waved at him, and he exited, and that was that. Your little guardian angel. Yeah, and I went home. And, you know, my parents knew because I had called, but it still took me a few hours from that point to get home. And, but I, you know, the trip was over. I was safely home. I was shaken as hell, but I was fine. And... The next morning, I was asleep in bed, and the phone rang, and my mom comes in, and she said, it's Tony, the truck driver. He wants to know if you're okay, because my phone number was on the police report. He just called to check, you know, and that was the last of it. He didn't, you know, it it didn't get weird or anything. He was just a good guy who wanted to make sure that this... Naive young lady was okay. It was at the end of her road trip too, so you're probably stretched a little thin. I was, and I had been feeling so victorious up until that point. You know, like, look at me. I'm super independent. I'm crazy strong. I'm smart. I can navigate all this on my own. You know, there was was no GPS. And um, but that is good evidence that you know the kind of kindness of strangers yeah. is always important mm-hmm. and always um, good to have. Yeah, yeah. When was the last time you kicked off a road trip with that song? Funny you should ask. I went without doing it for many years, largely because I didn't have as many road trips. You know, now I have full time work and I have two kids, and and road trips are not as common. And. Um, when I do go places like here, now I do tend to fly. But a little more than a year ago, I was on the fence about whether or not I should drive down to Washington for the Women's March, day after the inauguration. And I was leaning toward no, because I thought, what am I going to accomplish by doing this other than standing in a crowd of people and I don't like crowds, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, my friend who lives in Maryland was going and another friend was going and they said, just come. If nothing gets accomplished, you will have had some time with us. Just come. I decided like 30 minutes before I was going to leave that I was going to go. And because I decided that I had to get my daughter involved. I have two daughters. One was too little and she was sick at the time, so she couldn't come. But I took my older daughter, who was 10 at the time, and I thought, she needs to see this and she should get involved. And so I piled her into the car and at about eight o'clock at night, we left and drove all night till we got to my friend Sonia's house in Maryland. And it came on the radio when we had been on the road for about 10 minutes. And I'm not the kind of person who believes in signs, but damn, (laughs) you know, I was just, my whole perspective went, 
You know, and it's it's not a half bad song as a almost theme song. No, it's a great the, song for the, for the march. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. You know, I've talked about how that lyric had really grabbed me for the idea of yeah. of being on the road, and you know, the world is moving, and she's right there with it, and then that same lyric in that situation, you know, millions of women, well. I say millions. You know, it was actually like 4,000 people. <laughs> well, that is um, – that's all the time we have. Do you mm. have any final thoughts? No. This has been great. I <sighs> thought about things that I haven't thought about in a long time. Well, glad to be of service. Thank you so much for asking me. I want to thank my guest, Amy Ware, is my old friend and one of my favorite people oh. on the planet. I would hazard a guess that if a poll was given to our mutual friends, most of them would say the same. (laughs) I know you are, but what am I? (laughs) I'm rubber. You're glue. (laughs) What a hoot this has been, Amy. Let's let's move on to my final tune. We make three-song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio in Fort Myers. The show is produced, directed, and co-created by Richard Chin Kui. Today's episode was engineered by Guinevere Kala bortnicker Canary, for real. Tara Callaghan and Anna Bejarano are our online content producers. Our executive producer is Chris Duffus. Our theme music was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. When I was trying to think up my parting tune this week for this old friend of a guest, a thought immediately popped into my mind, and I thought, it's just crazy enough to maybe work. So I googled Fort Myers High School Fight Song, and what do you know, there's a good version of it on YouTube, and it was coincidentally recorded by the school's choir under the direction of my daughter's current choir director. So here you go. Go Greenies. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. Eddie Vedder, the lead singer of Pearl Jam, stops and he's just like, you know, tomorrow you're all going to have Thanksgiving dinner with your family. And we're all like, boo. I was really into the moment, even though I was really actually looking forward to Thanksgiving, <laughs> <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner. I really like Thanksgiving dinner.